This is Lunch with Legends, brought to you by ASE Media and Thinkslinger.org. Lunch with Legends. And now your host, Lou Stowers. Thanks, Big Game Jimmy Flame, and uh, today is September 11th, 2020, 19 years after uh, after the attacks on the Twin Towers, well, actually, on the United States and freedom by some terrorists, and um, this happened uh, a coincidence that, that um, I get to talk to one of my favorite baseball people, and I, it seems like we get to do this every 20 years, Mike Eastler. Thanks for joining us on Lunch with Legends. <laughs> yes, sir, Lou. Yes, sir. It's good to talk to you again, my friend. You too. Last time we talked, it was at Bush Stadium on opening day, uh, 2000, the year before, uh, just just months before, like six months before 9-11 happened. And um, uh, what a day that was. That was um, the not only opening day for the Cardinals, but on the opening day of one of your uh, students as the hitting coach of the Cardinals then, uh, uh, Albert Pujols, who had his first game as a major leaguer, uh, first uh, starting day, opening day. It's amazing, amazing. This kid, I tell you, people don't realize how good he was. And I saw him in spring training. I knew that he was going to be a, a good player, but I didn't know he was going to be a great player. Like he turned out to be a, a future Hall of Famer, 600-plus home runs. He just turned out to be a great, great, great ball player. He sure did, and, and still, uh, still getting it done in uh, in Anaheim with the uh, the LA Angels, and uh, uh, like you said, it, it, we, none of us knew what was going to happen. And I think he had a hit that day, um, yes. and uh, but he had a lot of guys on that team uh, to help him out there. You being one of them, Bobby Bonilla was another. I'm sure he had a big uh, a big influence on on Albert, but. Uh, Seems like he's more concentrating now on on line drives and doubles than he is trying to hit it over the wall. Because there's some other kid named Trout that's uh, doing that pretty good. Well, yeah, Trout is a player, and he's he's one of the guys that come around. As you say, every one twenty, every you know, every ten, fifteen years, you get a superstar like a Trout. And I looked at watching his tape the other day, and um, they had three hundred home runs they put all together on one tape. It's amazing. It's amazing how that man gets. Concentrate, focus, stay on the baseball, get through it, and has a tremendous follow through. And he's just a tremendously talented kid. Um, you know, Trout is that's amazing. Now, uh, Mike, the Hitman Eastler is with us on Lunch with Legends, and uh, uh, quite a different swing. Of course, you batted from the left side, and um, but the, but actually, the swing you're kind of the forefront guy on letting the bat go with your backhand on the follow-through, weren't you? Actually, I was a two-hand follow-through. I finished high with both hands. And I had kind of extreme extension. I kind of did it a little overboard. Um, I guess you can compare my swing now to, well, Mo Vaughn swung a lot like I did with the high finish. Mm -hmm. And he was my student in Boston. And um, Prince Felder kind of kind of does it the same way with that high finish. He does uh, two hands and releases the top hand. Um, Fred McGriff has a weird swing where he finished high and kind of <laughs> at times let go of his top hand. So 
it's, you know, four or five guys had that kind of follow through. So, but, you know, if you do it correctly, it is very effective. Well, it uh, worked for you and that uh, 118 home runs over your career and uh, a lifetime batting average of uh, 293. That's uh, more than respectable. And, um, uh, yeah, guys that have, uh, that you mentioned, they all had some wows at the plate. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> and, but you came up in, was it 1979 with the pirates? Yeah, Lou, that was my first year. Uh, that was after spending 10 years in the minor leagues. 10 years in winter. Yeah, 10 years in the minor leagues and 10 years in winter baseball. I played nonstop for 10 years. I signed at 18. Now the rookie at 28 that year in 79. Wow. Wow. Did you ever think you were going to uh, see Three River Stadium or any AstroTurf at all? Well, you know, Lou, we got to the point where I was getting very, very, very frustrated. Um, actually, I'm writing a book right now. It's in the nice. It should be finished about uh, two or three months from now, maybe toward the end of the year. The book should be finished. But I talk about my, you know, my, you know, my journey. I call it a journey. It's um, I call it climbing the glass mountain, trying to get up the major leagues. And <laughs> it became, Lou, it became very tough. But I just kept gritting and grinding. I had a good wife behind me, my mother and father and my family, and I just had a no-quit attitude. I was going to make it regardless. So finally, in 79, the Pirates gave me a shot, and um, the rest is history. Uh, it's so important to have that, uh, that that family background, isn't it? To, to yes. Go back oh, yeah, Lou. Man. Without that, without my wife, and me and my wife, Brenda, have been married for 49 years now, going on 50. Oh, and God bless her. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. She was behind me every bit of the way. Without her, I don't know if I could have made it. She just kept me encouraged and kept pushing me. And as a matter of fact, I married to Cliff Johnson's uh, sister. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So she was in a baseball family, so she understood my, you know, my, um, you know, my, my journey and how tough it was. She stayed behind me every bit of the way. Speaking of tough, uh, I remember Cliff Johnson as a tough guy, so now I know who toughened her up. Yeah, everybody, she, hey, she's actually tougher than I am, actually. <laughs> and she no kept doubt. me, so she wouldn't, yeah, she wouldn't let me wimp out at all. I couldn't wimp out. No, no, no quitting here, buddy. You got to go for it. <laughs> well, you had that chis- you had that chiseled chin right out of central casting. You know, you got the you kind of you kind of remind me of uh, Jim Tunney, the NFL referee, with, yeah, that, uh, with that chiseled chin and, and uh, that <laughs> that uh, big uh, brow that goes over your eyes, and this this that natural come get yeah. me look, and you're gonna pay for it. No, no, I'm telling you. When I went to home plate, I'm in business, you know. And it's funny, I played my whole career kind of with a chip on my shoulder because when I first signed, I signed by, you know, my buddy, I call him my buddy now, Pat Gillick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Pat oh, Gillick, yeah. he didn't sign me. He signed me out of high school, actually, with the Astros. And uh, he told me I wouldn't last a week in rookie league ball. <laughs> nice. And I know. I said, that's all I need. I'm so glad he said that. <laughs> and, oh, um, motivation. That motivation, huh? Exactly. I spent the rest of my year proving him wrong. And finally, one day, when I made it to the big leagues, and I was actually, I could trade to Boston from Pittsburgh, and uh, he came up to me in Toronto and said, my guy, I apologize. I said, I, I didn't know what was inside of you. I said, well, you know, I just appreciate you signing me. You gave me an opportunity, and I did the rest. So that's what it's all about. You know, you got to... You know, God help those who help themselves. Right, exactly. And you told me a little story 
actually got now. I, now I'm recalling the the old uh, Rolodex in, in the back of this this old brain here is mm-hmm. flipping around, and I remember you and I talking um, out there at Bush Stadium before the opening day, before the game with the uh, Cardinals and the Rockies that day, mm-hmm. and um, and that was the day, the morning that it was announced that Willie Stargell had passed, um. and. And you told me a great story about what he told you about baseball. Well, the thing that pops in my mind is he's always told me the umpire says play ball, not work ball. Yeah. That was the biggest thing that stuck in my mind with Willie. He, he enjoyed the game. And he said, Mike, when you go out here and enjoy the game, um, it's a game. It's not, it's not work. It's not something that you, you know, hate to do. You say it's something that you enjoy doing. So when I says play ball, just go out there and have fun and play the game hard, play the game right, and respect the game. But what about that 79 team? That was such a special team because uh, you guys went up against the uh, the Baltimore Orioles in the World Series with that uh, Hall of Fame pitching staff. Each one of those guys, I think, is oh, yeah. either should be or are in the Hall of Fame. Exactly, exactly. You know, the biggest thing I remember is that um, Willie was our leader. He was pops. He was a captain. He just led by, how can you say an example, never quit, believe in yourself. No matter if you get behind, we can do it. We can do it, you know, and um, if you can't do it, you just, you know, get on my shoulder and I'll carry the team. You know, that's how Willie was. And uh, Willie was just an amazing, amazing team. Matter of fact, I'm in the point in my book where I'm talking about um, how I used to kind of carry him around. I mean, I was everywhere with him, you know, and he kind of got to the point. I finally was a little pain in the butt with him, you know, but I wanted to pick, I just wanted to pick up every bit of wisdom that he had about the game and um, basically I owe a lot to Willie Stars as far as my knowledge and my appreciation and my love of the game of baseball and I, I owe a lot of that to Willie Stars. Well, how could you not? I mean, that's the, uh, that is this huge and then what a team that was. I mean, Manny Sanguian uh, yeah. was kind of, it was kind of like the Roberto Clemente of, of, of catchers. The way exactly. he used to, exactly, he used to throw people out from his butt. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, them, them athletes were such great ball players. You know, people don't realize my era, and um, you know, I got the tail end of them guys like Stargio and um, you know, and Manny Saint-Pierre, and uh, I mean, I can go on and on. You know, the guys, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, all them guys. I kind of came up at the end of their career. Them guys were so good. People don't realize how good the old. They were the great athletes. They were knowledgeable. They knew how to play the game, and they played the game right, and you know, they played the game hard. I mean, no hot dogging, no flares and all that stuff. They went out and played the game to win. You know, it was a war. It was a battle out there, and I just, I'm just glad that I played in that era where I understood how to respect the game and play the game hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and and, and, and talking to you guys on Lunch with Legends, uh, Guys like you, Bobby Gritch, uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Royce, and who was a teammate of yours? Uh, was he? Yes. Was he on that '79 team? Let me tell you about Jerry Royce. <laughs> I'm in Pittsburgh. No, no, Houston, Houston Astros, Astros. Uh-huh. My first major league camp in Astros was like '73, '74. Uh-huh. Jerry Royce was with the Astros then, if you remember right. Yes, he was with the Astros. My very first live VP. 
in spring training major league camp was against Jerry Royce. Okay. Big, tall, left-handed. When he was young, he kind of threw, he threw the ball pretty damn hard. You know, he, he got it up there. Man, he put me in a slump almost half a year. After I faced him, I said, my God, how in the hell can I hit major league pitching? I was a rookie. I was like 20 years old, 21. Oh, man. And my first big league camp, and I'm facing, and, you know, they're getting ready. Pitchers were like a week or two weeks ahead of us, so. Oh, and okay. I got my, yeah, my first day in camp, we're facing live BP. I said, I, I thought it would be like an old coach throwing, you know, that you just knocking the hell out of it. And Jerry throwing that thing 90 plus and curveball from hell. And I said, oh, my God. Matter of fact, I made a call to my dad. I said, Dad, he said, what? I said, my first league camp, uh, my first day of camp, all I can say is I'm not ready for this. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I, ready. I, said, I said, I'm sorry, Dad. I just can't hear it right now. I said, I got to I gotta do something. So Jerry Roy <laughs> bringing that stuff under my hands. Don Wilson bringing that gas. And J.R. Richard bringing that gas. Oh, no. Bobby, I mean, I can go on and on. You know, I said, Scipio Stinks. You know, you remember him too? Yeah. Castro's had some of the hardest throwers in the world, and I had to face all of them in spring training. It put me in a slump for a year. Oh, and then, um, but I went home and did my homework, and that's another story. I'm going to talk about that later. Okay, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll have to, uh, your book is just about ready to come out. We'll, we'll have to uh, there you uh, go. We'll do another interview. That's yeah, really good. And maybe, uh, maybe by then I can come out there to Vegas and we can. Uh, there you go. We'll meet up at a book signing somewhere. There you go. We'll enjoy it. We'll, we'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a story in Jerry Royce's book. I hate to give him, him the plug, but um, yeah. we're good friends. We're good buddies. But uh, yeah, uh, his, his book, uh, uh, his uh, book is Bringing the Right Hander. And you'll yeah, it, it's hilarious because uh, from cover to cover, because the cover picture is, is Lasorda coming out to pull Royce, and he's got that look like. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, you know that Royce look. So I, I think he had a, he had a chip on his shoulder that year. He went to, to Houston because he didn't want. He was a uh, uh, you know a, a born and bred St. Louis kid, and then he gets uh, traded off to Houston. So he probably had a chip on his shoulder. There you go. There you go. Jerry's crazy. I love Jerry. Jerry, we had so much fun in Pittsburgh when we played with each other. I don't know if he was on 719, but all I know I played with him, you know, in Pittsburgh for a while. Yeah. Now, he mentioned something in his book about the locker room and how it was um, um, divided up into, shall we say, neighborhoods. Or is that oh, yeah. something you want to say for your book? Um, no, you know, I really hadn't thought about that, but basically it was. Uh, it basically it was. Um, yeah, it was kind of different. I mean, that locker room was the most unique locker room I've ever been in in baseball. And that's, you know, basically, yeah, it might have been neighborhood, but all in all, we were a family. We all got together. We all loved each other. But boy, I tell you, that was your theme That was your theme song. We are family. Exactly. We are family. You know, it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. You know, and Parker was the... Parker was the the head honcho there as far as the instigator and started stuff. And people don't realize, Stud, I mean, Parker was actually the Muhammad Ali of baseball back then. You know, he was the top <laughs> man, he was the mouth man. But the thing about Parker is he could back it up with his talent on the field. So it was crazy. It was crazy. Jerry Rice and uh, Parker used to go at it all the time. And who else did mess with Jerry? Um, I forgot, but Jerry was a preacher himself. Trust me. Every oh, yeah. little quiet cat there in the corner. Jerry was nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, this is yeah. I, I, I've heard of some of those stories, and and of course, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was with the Dodgers being an LA kid, of course, uh, uh, you hear about those things, and you know, even up in the press box. So, you know, so it was a lot of fun. What was the probably what was the best prank you ever saw in that locker room? Uh, what can I say? I'm going to say a prank, 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 prank. There were so many things going on there. You know, I'm, I'm serious. There were so many things. Parker and Garner used to go at it all the time, all the time. And then Tim Foley came over and got traded. And Tim Foley was nuts. His nickname was Crazy Horse. So, <laughs> so him, and, uh, him and Parker actually started wrestling all over the place, and he didn't care. Tim Foley was, he was nuts too, you know. And, um, and the Parker, and the one I remember Parker and Garner so much. I mean, that's the one that, that he just stayed on Garner, and Garner stayed on him, and they just stayed on and on and on and on. And then Stardew, when, when all the pressure got too much, then Stardew come by and he hit, hit you on the back with his big old fat strong hands. And everything quiet, got quiet when Stardew said, okay, that's enough. Trying to play baseball. And then that's when, you know, Stardew stopped everything. And it was, it was just a great atmosphere. Oh, man. And then one of the guys that uh, that you faced um, uh, with the Mets and probably the Reds as well, but Tom Seaver, um, Tom, Tom terrific uh, was terrific, and oh, yeah. um, what do you remember about facing him or talking to him? Or let's let's talk about you facing him. Well, facing him was like a nightmare. I mean, this man was some kind of competitor. Boy, he came at you. Matter of fact, they said um, I don't know if it was true, but said he swore a knee pad on his right knee because he drove off the mound so hard that his knee, his right knee, used to hit the ground. I don't know if you heard that story. Yeah, yes, you can see the dirt stain, but I didn't know he oh, yes. wore a pad. Yeah, actually, I heard he wore a pad on his knees, and he dropped, you know, he was one of them drop-and-drive guys and just bonked gas, you know. And not only that, he had a good curveball, he had good control, he moved off the plate. Matter of fact, when put in his career, he was in Chicago with the White Sox, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to him that, yeah, I think it was 1983, maybe, I'm not sure. And um it's where he trained me in and he pissed me outside and I said he came in and flipped me real good. Bow, bow, oh man, I hit the ground. I said, Damn. I mean, I'm telling you the guy back in the day, man, it was a competitor. You didn't just you know, like like Gibson and stuff like that and see with him guy, he didn't hug the plate, he didn't sit on the plate and hit a home run and hot dog and look at it like they do now, man. He had to respect them pictures. Then he came up under my chin and Carlton Fish was catching you know, I said, Damn, Carlton, what are you really doing? Well, you know, man, that's what he pitches. I said, Okay, all right, I wanna play that way, that's good. <laughs> and um, I came back and I came back here to home run to say, Let's go off us. I said, Well, we mostly play that game. But the thing about it is I didn't play Cedar when he was young, 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 young. That man was just damn unhittable. But he started told me he was the toughest right hander, one of the toughest right handers. He doesn't say him and Don Drive there. He said, them guys are just so competitive and they just come at you and they just didn't stop, you know. And, you know, and they wanted the ball to die in. They didn't want to come out to six, seven, thirty like they do now. He said, them guys came to win, man. You know? But um, Tom Seaver, I had nothing, nothing but utmost respect for him because he was exactly Tom Terrific, just like he said. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I don't know, were you in the Red Sox in 1986? 
No, I got traded that spring training to the Yankees. Um, oh, okay. Me for Don Baylor. Don okay. Baylor got traded to the Red Sox, and I got traded to the Yankees, 86. Spring training of 86. There's another guy who could hit the ball pretty good. Too. Oh, yeah, a guy who could hit. Man. He was strong. Man. You know, I didn't hit him. He had a history. You know, he was in World Series and everything else. Don Baylor was a competitor. We got straight up a BH to BH. Me for Don Baylor. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the, because the reason I bring up 1986 and we're talking about Tom Seaver is uh, one of the most memorable games I ever saw was uh, July 27th, 1986 at uh, Big A in Anaheim there. It was uh, two 300 game winners uh, against each other, uh, Seaver against Sutton. Um, okay. And both of them pitched for pitch, except for a, a solo home run by Bobby Grish. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so there were 66,000 people there that day. See, that's so, what uh, I'm talking about, man. People don't realize how great the guys were, man. Tom Sutton and Tom Sutton. I got my first major league hit off the Tom Sutton. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I'll dance. Yep, I got a walking back curveball up the middle. In Dodger Stadium, we had my first major activity down certain. Yeah. Tell me about that. When's that. I want to hear about that. No, that was exciting. I mean, that was you know, I was the Astros, so they called me up. You know, I was up and down, up and down. Finally, I think it was a pinch hit. I did a pinch hit in Dodger Stadium against down certain. You know, and I know how nasty he was, but he was over the top, two gas curveball. He had a nice change at three ball over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I come in the game. I'm like one for 23, one for 25. I mean, oh, excuse me, excuse me, 0 for 25, 0 for 23, 0 for 25. So anybody want to go that again, huh? Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. He said, man, you better do something that different. But see, most people don't realize, most of my first 25 events were pinch hit appearances. So they weren't playing in the game. Mm, okay. So I was basically pinch hitting, you know, and uh, the coach just really never gave me a chance to get on the field. Uh, Don said to me a curveball, and I got jammed a little bit, hit the ball over. I think it was Davey Mochid and right there, and got my first major to get against Don Sutton. Oh, excited, excited, but not excited. In the, in the, in the uh, uh, box score, though, it just looks like a line drive, right? Thank you. Bottom line, exactly right. I told you that. Man, I don't give a dollar on how you get it, because now the next day it says two for four, three for four, or whatever it may be. But Don Sutton, I faced him again in Milwaukee later on in his career. He was just a smart them guys, they're not all the same pitchers. They were just good too hard. They got smart. They knew how to pitch. They knew how to set you up, you know, put you away. You know, I mean, these guys now, they're great irons. You know, they put a little harder on the average as well. You know, pitcher back in the day. But, I mean, they couldn't, I mean, but shit, they threw the ball right down the middle of the play. Like, they just had enough sleep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all I do is sit back, sit on fastball and buddy with them, you know, but, um, but uh, them guys back in the day, all the receivers, Royces, Sutton's, uh, I could go on and on and on. Them guys, Steve Carlton's, and I could go on. Them guys were just so smart. So smart. Yeah, I'm glad I grew up in that era where, where the uh, where pitchers would go nine innings or go oh, yes. or one of them. The stat CG complete game is uh, yeah, uh, in the lead on that now. No, it's amazing. But, you know, people say, well, that's why the numbers are up. And then, you know, that's why, the, you know, guys are going home run or whatever. Whatever. You know, the thing about it is guys in every era 
the good guys, the superstar, the guy that really can play, they could have competed in any era. I don't care what it is. If no money is better or not better, you know, don't compare, you know, don't compare time. At the time, that was put up to the best. When I played, you know, they had the best to the best. And now that they're playing now, they got the best to the best. But they got good players, excellent players nowadays, too, you know, just different eras. But athletes are athletes. If you can hit a baseball, you can throw a baseball, and you can pitch, you can run, you can steal bases. You know, you can play defense, but I don't care what, what area you play. You guys make plays now that they made the same way back in the day. Obviously, it's the old scout and all, you know, and you go on and on. Let me say this, the Iron Man, what you mean, you know, the Iron Man, 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 you play. Mm-hmm. You can really play. I mean, so therefore, it doesn't make a difference. Every era had the superstars, and the superstars could have played in any era and would have been stars in their era. I mean, in, in any era, it didn't make a difference. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And to talk about one of the greats, uh, Lou Brock also passed away. Oh, recently. yes. Oh, yes. And, and I know that uh, you were with the Cardinals, and, and I know that uh, the Cardinals treat their old-timers good, so he had to be around the locker room quite a bit. I had to be a whole lot. Matter of fact, I got a Bible right in the other room sitting on my table that Lou Brock signed for me. Mike Eastler, you know, we love me. God bless you always. I was elated when I got traded to, uh, I'm not traded, when I got the job. And Tony Lewis taught me to get the hitting coach job in St. Louis. I got two of my heroes. Well, I know one for a fact. I met Lee Brock. I didn't know Lee Brock at first, but when I met him, he's just a gem of a human being. He's just a beautiful person. But the guy that I idolized growing up, idolized. My dad bought me a book from Ghetto to Glory by Mr. Bob Gibson. Wow. That guy and Lou Brock was in the clubhouse every single day in spring training and then doing the season. I saw him quite a bit. You talk about having a great time talking to Lou Brock and, um, and, 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 you know, Bob Gibson. I was like, in heaven. See, I, you know, when I came up, we respected our older ball players. Man, we studied them. We understood them. We, we followed them. That's how we got them. I mean, that's, you know, I was a pitcher in high school, and I was by pitching. Well, I was on the miles. I'm 45. I was by pitching, you know. And, you know, on the bases, I couldn't run, so I couldn't get Luke Brock, so. <laughs> but Luke Brock is such a competitor. And he, and he got another guy who enjoyed the game. He was like, what is character? He played the game and had so much fun playing the game and talked the game. Very talented, you know, just a very talented. And, you know, and I know, and I know the club hate that they got rid of him because that man was, a, you know, he was a great, great, great athlete. He sure was. And, and, and quite an inspiration, too, like you say, to oh, the other side. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, Lou was, Lou was the man. I just said, I got his autograph right down my Bible, sitting right in my living room by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, speaking of the grace of God, uh, we are still, we, um, we talked about you coming up in, in the 70s and being in the minor leagues for 10 years and, and, uh, probably still rough in the minor leagues coming up uh, for for African Americans and, and some of the cities there. And today, um, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the same stripes or, or stripes being brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like we were talking about when we started 19 years ago, uh, baseball saved 
America, it seems like. It seems like it was the, the salve that started the, the healing, the, the wound healing. Exactly. Baseball is a game that you, you really don't look at color in baseball. You look at athletes, you look at the home runs, you look at the, the joy of bringing the fans. And that's why right now I just hate that there's no fans in the stands. I'm watching the game, I'm hearing the noise. You, know, you just don't see the fans. Uh, my hat's off to these guys who motivate themselves to go out there and play without a lot of fans in the, in the stands. But to me, it's very, very, very difficult. Does it really matter that much to have, to yes, have those yes, fans? It does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. Okay. No, fans, they, fans take you to another level. Fans get you focused. They bring out the, the the winner inside of you. They awaken the giant, sleeping giant, when you hit the fans holler. Over <laughs> <laughs> So your nostrils start to flare a little bit. No, left arms. I'm serious. Let me tell you, if and a lot of athletes don't make it because they cannot handle, you know, the pressure that's put on them by the fans or the noise or the expectations or whatever like that. But the true athletes are within, they feed off the fans. And the fans make, oh, man, when they just going to pitch it, pitcher and pitcher, and they put a big sign up on the on the scoreboard, hit me, and they put me walking around with violin and stuff like that, and fans are hollering, man, you get so motivated. Then you try to hit the ball to the moon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah describe that feeling, say, bottom of the ninth inning. Yes, you got, you got the tying run a third, the winning run yes. a second. Yes. And you got some uh, yeah. fire-breathing dragon, uh, yes. right-handed yes. reliever. Yes. And here you are, deep in the count, yes. say one and two, and you, it's a, like a ten-pitch at bat so far. Yes. What do you What do you do? Is that what you live for? You just exactly. That's what you live for. That's what you train for. And that's what I train hitters now, that I talk to hitters now. You train for pressure situation. This is what baseball, that's what makes baseball so different, man. You got that little tiny ball coming up to you about 90 plus and moving every which way. And at any time it hits you in the coconut, you know, you just knock you out. And you got to read that little curve. You got to read that little ball. Coming off the pitcher's hand, as you say, really fly out of the nose, and you're in the batter's by puffing and puffing too, and all of, and, 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 and then all the pressure. Okay, once you're in the batter, you can win the game. And the best, it's just, as an athlete, you just lock into that. You just lock in, and nothing, nothing. You don't hear nothing. You hear it, but it's, it becomes nothing. You just in a world. You just as you say, everything slows down, comes to a standstill. And the good hitters have a way a way of blocking off everything, and the ball is almost like coming in slow motion when you see it. And all you do is just wait for that mistake, and then you don't. You get that bad head to baseball. Bad head to baseball. That's why a lot of kind of now they talk about exit velocity and bat speed and all this other long angle stuff just picking up. Man, let me take that. You didn't have bad advice. You ain't thinking about none of that shit, man. You're thinking about <laughs> getting the bad head out to the baseball and don't miss and just getting that batter's box, locking in, and seeing the ball and attacking that ball with engines. So that launch angle and exit velocity gets a piece of coin, man. I'm trying to get that batter out to hurt somebody. <laughs> I'm ready to go right now. Let's go. There you go. There you go. That's what I'm serious. 
And it can be no shady. the crowd. I mean, when I when when I'm covering a game or, and when I'm near the field, I can feel the crowd when they're yelling and screaming like that. It's like that compression, the sound compression. You can feel that. Oh yeah, you feel it. But you feed off of it. It gives you energy. It gives you vitality. That's your what can you say? That's your that's your vitamin C. That. That's your body. That's your, that's your, that's your energy. Energize the fans. The fans. As a matter of fact, I put on my Instagram a couple of days after, you know, Chris Gibson coming in and, you know, didn't sexually and the fans are hollering. You know, oh, made us, you know, an 0 2 or 3 2, whatever it was, on um, slider, backdoor slider, he hooks the ball out the ballpark and the fans. Oh, yeah. Ouch. That is what it's all about. Pete Rose, what he's going for. You know, that's a record, you know, and all that stuff. We can't holler and scream. Let me tell you something. Good athletes and true athletes. That's why a lot of young guys are doing well now. Yeah. With the fans, with the fans not in the stands. Yeah. I want to see how they do with the fans. I want to see how they do with the fans. It could be a whole different animal. I mean, they're great athletes and they probably hit the same way, but nobody's out there hollering and screaming and boom, if they fail up, they strike out. You know, I mean, it's good and bad with it, you know, the good. Fine line, a fine line between love and hate. I'm waiting to see how these guys can, you know, uh, perform under the, you know, forty, fifty thousand fans in the state. Now that's going to that's good. That separates the men from the boys. That's true. That's true. Bad man, big buddy. I, I, you and I, I think we spent. You took uh, uh, my cameraman producer Mike Provine and I. Mm-hmm. To her, you you just kept on wanting to talk and tell stories like you are now, and we didn't want to stop recording. I think we used yeah. just, <laughs> just about all of our tape up by then. Uh, yeah. It's like, this is gold. Like we get, Somewhere those tapes are in an archive somewhere between, yeah. between the Pacific Ocean and the Mississippi River. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'll have to exactly. find that. i got to find that. But I could go on and on and on. Um, yeah, I want you to game. tell me. I want you to mm-hmm. tell me how baseball heals us in America, brings us together. How does it do that? When you have a team and you have a group of athletes, number one, are very talented, the best at what they do. You know, and there's only what seven, eight hundred athletes they need to be baseball players or whatever. And they get on the field, and they form a unit to go out there to win for that city. And one or two guys become like folk heroes on the ball club, and they start following, you know, legendary ball players, you know, the Trouts and the, and the Miguel Cabreras and uh, Albert Pujols, you know, that each individual team has a superstar. Mm-hmm. And you become, this is your team. That's why it is. It's my team. I mean, and baseball is the American dream anyway, and it's the greatest game in the universe in the world. So therefore, all of a sudden, fans get together, and they and they holler and scream. It's like one unit, one big family, the whole city, or whatever like that. And um, as you go watch the games, you, you leave everything that you probably or whatever you're having. You leave it at home. Now. You can't wait to see that picture, Pitch Verlander, going out on the mound, uh, Randy Johnson. You know, going there, possibly at no hit at any time, no reliance, you know. All of a sudden, you just forget everything, and that's how your body heals, your mind heals, and you become totally, you know, just enhanced or entranced in what's happening on the field. The Yankees, the great Yankee teams, you know, and uh, 
you go out there and watch them guys just perform and play the Reggie Jacksons in the play. I'm always saying it's just a healer. Baseball to me is a kid game. It takes you back to childhood. And when you watch and you see great teams play as a whole, like the Pirates, we are family, or, you know, mm-hmm. crazy Philly back in the day, they were nuts in their own way, you know. <laughs> it, it, just, it just heals people. It just makes people feel good. It's a feel-good game, and um, that's why it was so missed, you know. Football is a different game. Football is, you know, basketball is a different game. Baseball is it's unique. It's just very, very unique and individualized, you know, to the point where the plays that they make, the situation that they're in, the, the relief pitcher comes in and shuts down, you know, Chapman, just like the home run, uh, which you call it against Chapman, you know, um, you know, uh, Tubi and uh, whether he knew it or not, it's not my business, but I'm just saying that <laughs> it's just the moments, the moments, and you sit there yeah. and the moments in baseball. I mean, that, to me, that's a, that's a healer. It just brings healing to your whole mind and body and spirit. And, you know, baseball's a great game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My favorite picture of uh, my little, uh, my little love, uh, my, my uh, two and a half year old grandson with Down syndrome, is mm-hmm. sitting in his uh, dad's lap, uh, my, my mm-hmm. son, and his first baseball game, uh, was about a year ago, and um, Mike Trout hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And he turns his head, and he had never heard never heard a sound like that before. I mean, yes. the crowd, the crowd. He turns his head, and his eyes just get as big as saucers. And like, what the heck mm-hmm. is going on? That's what I And and I think he's falling in love with baseball. Let me tell you something. Just like you said, his eyes did it, and I did it. How do you think the ball player feels when he hits in that situation and he comes through? Oh, see, you did that with the head. I did that. I did that when I fouled the ball off. Oh, that's, there you go. There you go. You know, it's funny, Lou. I was in um, 1979. 1979. And I'm going to tell the story in the book. It's going to be a good one. Although I'm going to lead up to it a little differently. But basically, uh, we're playing the Mets. And the game is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, we get to the, think, the 13th inning. High score. Mm. And they didn't need me yet. I was the, that was my rookie year in the big league, 79, first year. My nickname was Easy. You know, I was just like Mike Eastler, so they nicknamed me Easy to come along with Eastler. And um, my brother kept getting mad because he said, they shouldn't be calling you Easy. That means you've got an Easy, you know, you go, I mean, this is a war. You're in a battle. So finally, I start screaming and hollering in the locker room. Um, Put me in the game. Put me in the game. I'll win this game. I'll win this game. I was talking to myself, really. But I was screaming and hollering. <laughs> I guess maybe um, the coach heard me. And I forgot who the phone was. And bop, 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 bop. Um, the pretending coach for the bop, 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 bop. Okay, I think of it. But he finally, 13th minute. He's here. You're hitting. You're leaving in and off. And I said, Bob Kern, Bob called me, you know. <laughs> Bob Skinner. Bob Skinner was okay. the um, yeah, Bob Skinner was the hitting coach. I said, I said, Bob, I said, why don't we just search you then you know use everybody except me? I said, That's all right, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Watch it, watch it. And um that was early in the seventy nine year, like in May or something, April or May. And I was watching the game on TV, and I was watching Skip Lockwood, and he threw pretty hard, which meant he threw 94-95, three quarters, 
mean, just hot cheese and a slider, hot ass mouth slider. He was just blowing me his away. So finally, I said, okay, all I can do is sit on fastball. I don't give a damn if he throws eight breaking balls. I don't care. I'm sitting on cats and I was not missing. Very first pitch I get in the batter's box, I lock in there, put my, as you said, just, just settle myself in there, the fans are hollering 13th inning in Pittsburgh. Very first pitch I hit it to the back of the stadium, hit the boom, check home run. Won the game, come hollering and screaming, and the ball is to brick and, and, you know, in a Three River Stadium and bounce back, and I'm just running around hollering. Ah, I know how to do it. I know how to do it. <laughs> and the fans hollering, the fans screaming. And uh, Chuck Taylor looked at me like, well, where is he coming from? Who is that animal, you know? <laughs> and a week later, I had another pinch hit home run against Craig Swan. Wow. In um in, in New York. And it was the game about to be solved now. We were behind. And I pinch hit and tied the game up, hit a pinch hit home run and then they called the game because of the fault. And the reporters in New York came to me and said, Wow, well, you still what you got said, man, I'm not easy, I'm the hitman. Like that. <laughs> well that's that's how I got the nickname the hitman. My brother gave me that name and I you know. About, about a week before that, my brother said, you got to change your name, change your image, change your persona. Well, you had that, like I said, you had that look, man. You had that central casting. My brother told me, you know, you're lacking something, Mike. And then that's what happened. My brother gave me that nickname, man. And um, then I went to two pictures, you know, two pictures on one and then the nickname stuff. That's how I became the hitman. And then I started, finally got a chance to play. And they found out I could really hit. They didn't know it. I was just pitching. I could really hit. I knew I could. I just did an opportunity. Wow. And the rest is history. The rest now, is history. Now, you talked about Mo Vaughn and how he, uh, how he made a living copying your uh, batting style. I'm just kidding. But, um, or maybe I'm not. But uh, you guys run a, a school together still? Yeah, right now, Mo has uh, put together an indoor facility in Boca Raton, Florida. It's called the Don Sporting Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don Sporting Academy. Don Sports Academy, excuse me. Okay. And he had me fly in, and I do hitting. I do nothing but hitting. And Mo, just me and Mo, we're about to put together actually a podcast or something like that. We're going to do hitting on so that you get it on video and, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the internet. You know, they're going to be able to. Be able to Come in and we're gonna ask questions. We're gonna coach people through, you know, you know, online. I don't know. Well, if you if you uh, if you want anybody to to be the host and introduce you guys, I know a guy. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, tell them about it. There you go, there you go. No, but no, no, we're gonna do that. We're in the process of putting that together now. As a matter of fact, I should find nice. the. I'm gonna fly there about another week or so, and um, you know, we we're still working on it. We've been put together on. On paper, but we're going to put it. We can actually put it together. But the academy, no, it was started off with two cases. Now he has about six. And it turned into a training facility. I mean, they got guys training there. They got girls. They got football. They got some of everything now. But but me and Mo are going to concentrate on baseball, especially for the kids from um from um you know from seven all the way to seventy. You know. Wow. Okay. I'll go. Great. Great. Okay. The Bond Sports Academy in Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, Brandon.
bring my uh, my all star softball playing uh, granddaughters down there. There you go, granddaughter. Which is to do? In fact, I mean, swing the swing. Once the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, you just got to get the bad head out there. So the swing is swing to me. Yeah, they, were, they were complaining that a, a nice batting cage um, facility in Los Alamitos, California. He said um, they got to turn the turn the speed up because because it's too slow. I mean, because the, the the pitching machines are, are um, sixty feet, and and they're used to softball, so they had to dial it up to a hundred miles an hour for these teenagers. Yeah, so, you know, get get a decent speed. Yeah, well, fastly softball to be it's very tough. I mean, very, very, they're very competitive, and I, I love that. But I, as a matter of fact, I'm an engineer. Sometimes I pick up a lot of girls. I mean, some of the drills that they do. I love a lot of the drills that they do. You know, as far as hitting, and I'm still kind of learning how to, you know, I mean, how to work with girls swinging softball. But to me, it's very similar. You know, you got to have yeah. balance, you got to have flexibility, you got to be short and quick to the ball. And you know, you have a good follow through, you know, and um, it's very similar. Yeah, very similar. Matter of fact, I did something where Mike Trout, home run swing, the girl, I put a girl right next to him, an almost identical swing. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it's in there. So now, are you are you saying that Mike Trout hits like a girl? No, <laughs> no, the girl hits like a like a Mike. <laughs> Mike Trout is so gifted. He is so gifted. But the thing about it is, let me tell you this, and I, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm gonna say it. Okay, no one pitchers got pitchers got great arms nowadays, but God, half of them do not know how to pitch at all. They make mistake after mistake after mistake in areas they should not be making them in to certain hitters. Well, yeah, the, where, where's Trout's wheelhouse is from his ankles to his uh, exactly, exactly. And I'm looking at when he pitches on the mound, I would do everything in my own power not to pitch the ball from the ankles to the kneecaps. You're exactly right. He's a low ball hitter. His swing, well, he tells me in the interview, he said that's where he likes it. And then he said, throw it there. You know, I mean, I don't understand it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know good hitters will make adjustments, but mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, damn. Sure. I mean, on the defensive side, it's like uh, the uh, the defensive shift. If you can't pull it, well, I'm going to yeah. load up this other side. In fact, let me tell you something, man. If they would have pulled me, if they played me to pull like that, man, I would hit 380, 390 every year. <laughs> and ain't no way in hell I'm going to get somebody going to put all the people on the right side of the field. I'm a left hand hitter, and I can't go to left hand. Shoot, man. <laughs> See, I blame the hitting coach. No, I'm serious. I blame the coaches. I blame the team. You can't teach a guy to go the other way, man. Sad on you. And if the guy don't want to listen, Sad on, you know, shame on him. But see, they get paid now anyway. Two thirty, two forty, with thirty on one, forty on one. They still get paid, so they don't care. Yeah. About strike it out and leave and run it on base. It's sad, 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 sad. Wow. Well, let's give your uh, book another plug. Um, okay. uh, before you get to back to the uh, the word processor, or, or do you have an electric typewriter or a, a portable? Actually, I'm, I'm, I have a ghostwriter. I have somebody writing it down in um, Cooperstown. As a matter of fact, he works in he works with um, you know in Cooperstown. Okay, his name is Bruce Markison. I don't know if you know him. No, I don't. I know. I know. Okay, me. Okay, well, Bruce Markinson is the one that's writing the book. He wrote about two or three other books, I think. I think that's okay. But, 
But he's a good writer, and we've been working on it for almost a year now. A year and a half. It takes a little time, though. Oh, yes, I know. All those stories. Yeah, and we've been we've been talking for almost an hour here, so I know. I tell you, you know, a lot of things is in my mind that I, I, I put on right. Actually, I use I'm using my phone, and I write it on my phone. I just got a computer now, so I, I'm. Not, I've been really done that phone. I know, I know, I've done that, and I and, and then I put it in, and then I email him the stuff, and he puts it together, and he sends me back. I go try it, read it, okay. I read that's, it, and then we. Oh, yeah, that's that's how we've been doing it, back and forth, back and forth. Okay, well, I do want to read it when it comes out, and I do want to uh, talk to you again on Lunch with Pleasants when it's ready to ready to go on the show. No, we'll definitely do that, Lou. Definitely do that. You know, there's so many stories that you forget until you ask me questions. See, when you ask me questions, it comes out. You know, it it comes out, and that's why before it's over with me and uh, Bruce, we have to meet up and really talk because he doesn't really get the feel of what I'm writing. I mean, what I I mean, he can feel it. But I think it would be better face-to-face with him and, um, you know, to kind of, you know, put a closing on it. Because right now we're, in the book, we're at about the 79 years, 79, my rookie year. So we'll step out and start talking about, we only to offer my minor league 10 years. Now we're about to start on the 79, my major league career now. So people that are listening to Lunch with Legends can have a little preview there. Oh, it's gonna be beautiful. I mean, it's gonna be fun. I mean, there's so many stories, so many, it's it's stuff that you need to forget about that's, um, you know, I used to, in Pittsburgh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I say this in the book. After the 79 year, um, well, during the 79 year, after I became the hit band from Easy, I, 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 I put a, I, I made a robe, a black and gold robe. And you walk around, you know, like a bathrobe. Right. And on the back, on the back of the bathrobe, I put a hit man on it. And whoever had a good game that day, they get to wear the robe that day. <laughs> if you got a game with an army, it was great. People love, people love that robe, you know. And uh, I forgot, you know, where somebody stole that damn robe. I don't know where it went. And um, and uh, so when we played the Cubs, Billy Williams used to come in in the town, you know. And I love talking to Billy Williams. He's one of the greatest hitters that ever lived. Uh, sweet for you, Billy Williams. And he found out about the robe, and every time he come to town, he's like, what is that robe? You in that robe. I'm the hit man. I'm the hit man. I'm the hit man. I said, Billy, from what I seen in taste and what I watched you play, you were the hit man, for real. So, um, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff that we used to, you know, joke about and laugh. But as I said, my time with Pittsburgh is Willie Stryker. Willie Stryker taught me and made me understand and feel the game of baseball and um, how to deal with the pressure, how to deal with with writers, you know, when you talk to writers, you know, when you make mistakes. Because he once told me, he said, they gave up guys on them, you know, I mean, mistakes are part of the game. You just got to learn failures. Failures part of the game. You got to learn to deal with it and learn from it. Yeah, that's true. Now, we'll close out the way we open it up. What did Willie Tar- Stargell tell you that stuck in everybody, especially in my mind? What did he tell you about baseball? The biggest thing Willie told me, and I don't know if this is what I told you before, but he said, enjoy the game of baseball. The umpire says, play ball, not word ball. And that's where we'll end. Thank you very much, Mike the Hitman Eastler. Uh, our 20-year reunion, uh, we could do this all day. I'm going to have to drive out there to Vegas. and, and uh, Or if you want to come out to the beach. I'm calling you, man. Yeah, but we gotta be we gotta be safe. We gotta spread out six feet or more or whatever. Yeah, that we've got it. 
It's called it's social distancing. Yeah, exactly. Social distancing. That's it. But you as, long as, move, as long as we got baseball, we're okay. Yeah. That's exactly right. We just breathe that in through the TV without fans. Yeah. I know. But at least it's baseball, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right, Luke. Mike Easter has been my guest here on Lunch with Legends. And you know what? we got to do this uh, in 20 days, maybe. I don't know. So we'll do this again soon. But uh, I want to thank you for listening to Lunch with Legends. Uh, and we're available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and uh, Buzzsprout, and Pocket Cast, and uh, probably a few others there that are jumping on board here with Lunch with Legends. And I'm glad that you did. Until next time, so long. Executive producer of Lunch with Legends and ASE Media is Maxine Stowers. Written and produced by Lou Stowers. Also produced by Jimmy Flame. Lunch with Legends is brought to you by World Financial Group and Athena Financial. For all of your personal financial growth needs, call Cassidy Eden at 562-266-7024. And by Conjin Water. Get alkaline water right out of your tap. Call Michael Landa at 714-931-0059. Lunch with Legends is brought to you by ThinkSlinger.org. That's ThinkSlinger.org, where words collide. And Lunch with Legends is a production of ASE Media. ASE Media.